Well, amen and praise the Lord. And what a delight it is to see you this morning together on this Resurrection Sunday, the Lord's Day. And I welcome you in the name of our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. For those of you that are watching online, it's such a delight to have you join us. And may the Lord bless you richly as you worship where you are this morning. Uh, a TV game show that uh, took our country by storm was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Initially hosted by Regis Philbin. And if you watched the show a number of times like I did, you know the object was to win cash amounts step by step like a ladder all the way to a million dollars. And the way you did it was you answered multiple choice questions. Now you could stop at any time and keep your winnings or you could keep going. But here was the risk. If you kept going and you gave the wrong answer, you lost all your money and the game was over. Now the tension in the game was this, Regis Philbin would repeatedly say, is that your final answer? And if you said yes and you were wrong, you lost everything. Now that question, is that your final answer, became so popular it caught on across the entire country. Uh, when Ellen and I would have a discussion together, I would say to her, is that your final answer? And she would laugh, sometimes, sometimes. In New York City, garbage men, cab drivers, bus drivers, when they would see Regis, they would just yell out to him, is that your final answer? And he said it was a great, great deal of fun. Now, you know, as I think about that, final answers are fun to watch on game shows, aren't they? And the worst thing that can happen is you can lose some money. But you know, there are final answers to questions that are far more serious. Those questions have to do with life, with death, and eternity. And all of us know this morning, those are very, very big questions. You see, to have the final answer to those questions is crucial because it deals with life and death. There was a man in the Bible who had some very big questions that he wanted answers to. His name was Job. And all of us know that Job suffered immensely. But one of the things that Job discovered is there was one final answer to all of his questions, and that answer was the resurrection. Now this morning, I want to bring a message on Easter Sunday morning entitled, The Final Answer. And I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Job's words in Job chapter 19, verses 23 through 29. And here's what we're going to learn on this Easter Sunday, 2021. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the final answer to all of life's biggest problems. I don't know what questions you have today. Maybe they are small questions. Maybe they are very large questions. But I want you to understand from the word of God, the final answer to the biggest questions we have is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
Now, here's the first big question that Job wants to have an answer to. It is the question of personal suffering. Personal suffering. Look what he says in verse 23 and 24 of Job chapter 19. Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead, they were engraved in the rock forever. Now, as we read these, verse, these verses, we have to ask ourselves this question. Why did Job want his words written on a monument? Now, this was not an ordinary memoir that Job wanted to have written. It was more like an inscription on a granite tombstone. When he uses the word rock here, it is actually the idea of a mountainside, very much like the Hollywood letters on the mountainside in Los Angeles that everyone is able to see is the idea. And if we ask this question, why did Job want his words inscribed like that? It's because he believed he was going to die before he got the answers. He believed his questions would be unresolved in his life. And by writing them on a mountainside, he wanted everyone to read his legacy and the truth that he knew was accurate. Now, what were Job's questions? Well, he had three of them. If you read the book, you'll discover it can all boil down to three questions. Number one, why am I suffering physically when I've done nothing wrong to deserve this suffering? Job knew he was not any worse than anyone else. And yet, as you know, one of the things that he had was a painful disease of boils that covered his body. And he believed he was going to die with this disease. He describes it in verse 26. He says, after my skin has been thus destroyed, and it's a picture of a painful death by disease. And then his second question, why are my friends accusing me of sinning and covering it up? You see, by this time in the book, Job is abandoned and he's alone. And his three friends who did finally show up accused him of sinning. And we could sort of paraphrase what they said. Job, God is punishing you. We know it. And Job, if you're honest, you know it too. But you will not confess your stubbornly refusing to admit the truth. Do you know down in verse 28? Job says they pursued him like a hound dog. Think about that this morning. Not only was he suffering, but he was being kicked while he was down. And then his third question, perhaps this was the most frustrating for him of all. Why is God not telling me what's going on? You see, Job could not read Job chapters 1 and 2 like you and I can do because they had not been written yet. So what he didn't know was that God was testing him in all that he suffered. 
And here's what he thought. To lose my children, my wealth, my health, it makes no sense. And he says, God, why don't you just tell me what is going on? There's a Christian author by the name of Margaret Gunther. And she one time in an article wrote these words. Listen to what she said. She said, listen is such a little ordinary word. Yet we all know the pain of not being listened to, of not being heard. In a way, not to be heard is to not exist. That's Job. God is not hearing me. Do I even exist to him? Now, I want to stop at this point, and, and I want to ask a question that I think is very, very relevant for all of us at this point. And here's the question. How many of us think the answer to our suffering will always be clear in this life? Is there anybody who would answer that question and say, yes? My suffering will always be made clear to me in this life. Is there anyone who would answer that question positively? I'm glad to see that. I'm glad to see that. Because if we think it is, we are going to be very disillusioned in life. In fact, life for us at some point will become the pits. One of the questions that perhaps we are all asking ourselves in this day in America is, why are there so many suicides? I read the obituaries a lot, and I see deaths that I recognize are suicides, far more than I have ever seen in my lifetime. And we ask the question, why? And I think we all know, people are in despair. People can't cope with their pain. People feel there's no use living. When will the answer come? When will the answer to our personal suffering come? Well, would you look at verse 25? For I know, says Job, that my Redeemer lives. The Good News Bible says, I know there is someone in heaven who will come at last. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is the answer, and that answer will come when he comes. And he will come, won't he? He will come, won't he? And so we can trust him. We can trust him. Now, Job's next question is a question about God. Job wants to know, when am I going to meet God? When am I going to meet God? And I want you to notice what he says in verse 25 down to verse 27. Listen to his words. For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God, whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me, 
exclamation point. Now, we have to stop here for just a moment, and as we look at these verses that I've just read, we have to ask two very important questions. Number one, what did Job expect? And number two, who did Job expect was going to pull this off? Let's look at the first question, all right? What did Job expect? Well, he expected a painful, painful death. We've already seen that in verse 26. A painful death as disease consumed his body. But then he also suspect, expected that he would live again bodily. He says here, in my flesh I will see God and I'm going to see him with my eyes. So he was anticipating a resurrection body. And then he believed that he would experience God. Did you notice in verse 27, he said, this isn't going to be somebody else, not another. It's going to be me, says Job. I'm going to meet God personally, and I'm going to experience him. And then finally, Job is convinced, I'm going to be vindicated. He says, my heart faints within me. I can hardly wait is the idea. My heart is pounding is the thought of meeting God and being vindicated. Now, let me just uh, say to you this morning, aren't these rather big expectations? Wouldn't you agree with me? Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Many people do not realize that. It was written during the time of the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. And do you know bodily resurrection was not clearly revealed until the book of Daniel? That's way over a thousand years after Job. So you know what this is like? This is like Abraham raising the knife to plunge it into his son Isaac and take his life and expecting Isaac will be resurrected by God when a resurrection had never occurred. This is an extraordinary affirmation of faith by Job. And we have to ask this second question then, who is then going to pull this off? Who's going to make this happen? And I want you to notice the person here that Job describes. This person is both human and divine. He calls him a redeemer. That is the normal word for kinsman redeemer throughout the Old Testament. And that was a reference to a relative. So this would be a human person. But you'll notice in our Bible that the R is capitalized, and later in the book of Job, this Redeemer is more than a person. In fact, Jeremiah, in his prophecy, says the Redeemer is God himself. So this person is human and divine. And then he's a Redeemer. Kinsman Redeemers paid the price to deliver those who could not deliver themselves. That's what Boaz did, didn't he? He delivered Ruth, who could not pay the price for her own redemption. 
And then he says about this person, this human and divine one, that he lives. He has an indestructible life because he lives at the last, at the end of time. And then finally, Job says, he stands upon the earth. That's a legal term that means to mete out justice at the end of time. Now let's put all this together. This person would be both human and divine. That's an incarnation. He'd pay a price to deliver those who cannot deliver themselves. That's redemption. He'd be alive at the last time. That's resurrection life. He'd stand as sovereign over the earth. That is savior and judge. Who is this person that Job is describing? What's his name? He is the Lord Jesus Christ. How many of you think Job fully understood what he was writing about? I'm sure he didn't. But under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he described the Lord Jesus Christ perfectly. Jesus was incarnate. He paid our redemption price. He rose to resurrection life. He delivers those who believe. And he will come again to judge the living and the dead. I think at this point, some more questions are appropriate, don't you? And Pastor J. Vernon McGee puts his finger right on the questions we need to ask ourselves at this point. Here they are. What is your ambition in life today? Is it to get rich? Is it to make a name for yourself? Is it even to do some wonderful thing for God? Listen to me, says Pastor McGee, the highest desire that can possess any human heart is a longing to see God. And he is absolutely right. The goal of life is to see God someday. And if we miss that goal, we have missed everything. Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. They will see God. Jesus said, he who has seen me has seen the Father. And it is the resurrection life of Christ that is the final answer to meeting God someday. Now Job's last big question has to do with ultimate justice. He wants to know in this world in which we live where things are often so unjust, Is there going to be ultimate justice? I want you to listen to what he says in verse 28. If you say he addresses his three friends, how we will pursue him, that's Job. And the root of the matter is found in him, that's Job. Here's what Job says to them and to us. Be afraid of the sword, for wrath brings the punishment of the sword that you may know 
there is a judgment. Now, as we read through the book of Job, one thing is very, very obvious to us. There is someone in this book who is seriously wrong, right? Somebody is seriously wrong. If the friends are right and Job is wrong, that is, he has sinned, he is lying about it, and now he's accusing God of mistreatment, those are very big sins. But if Job is right, and the friends are pursuing him like hound dogs, they are falsely accusing him and misrepresenting God in the process, those too are very great sins. Who does the book of Job tell us was the ones in the wrong? Job's three friends. In fact, at the end of the book, chapter 42 and verse 7, I want you to listen to what God said to the three friends as the story of Job wraps up. Listen to what he says. The Lord said, My anger burns against you, For you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. Now therefore take seven bulls and seven rams, and go to my servant Job, and offer up a burnt offering for yourselves. And my servant Job shall pray for you, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken of me what is right." as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuite and Zophar the Namathite went and did what the Lord had told them. And the Lord accepted Job's prayer. You see, God is a God of justice. And there will be ultimate justice in the world, and Job understood that. One of my old professors, Tom Constable, made a very interesting observation about Job after chapter 19. This is what he said. Having made this breakthrough of faith, Job seems less frantic hereafter in the book. Isn't that interesting? The next time you read through the book of Job, after you get past chapter 19, ask yourself, is this true? Does Job, after this great confession, seem less worried, less frantic, less apprehensive? And if he does, why? Why? Well, it's because the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the final answer to all of life's greatest problems. And if you trust in him, you can leave all the writing of all the wrongs in the world into his hands. Because he's alive. He's alive. And because he's alive, he's the ultimate answer to final justice. What is your final answer? 
Whatever problems are pressing in upon you today, I want you to understand the answers to the ultimate questions in life, the greatest questions in life. The questions that you have to settle to live a meaningful, purposeful, hopeful life, those are found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And let's bow together, shall we, and let's thank Him for who He is and what He's done. As her heads are bowed and her eyes are closed, would you take a moment in your own heart? And if you're a believer here today, would you thank the Lord that someday you're going to understand better the suffering you've gone through? And someday, the goal of the Christian life, which is to meet God in heaven, is going to be a reality for you. And someday, the justice that ought to be brought to you will pass over you. Because Jesus is your Redeemer. Rejoice in the Lord today. Believers in Christ. And then if you're not sure where you stand with the Lord. If you've never come to the foot of the cross and bowed in repentance and faith. Acknowledging your own sinfulness and unworthiness. And your need of a redeemer. Would you do that today? Would you say, Lord Jesus, I, I believe you died and rose as you said you would. You paid for my sins. You rose that I might have life. And this day, the best that I know how, I'm repenting. I'm turning from my own way and I'm turning to you. Lord Jesus, come into my life and be my Savior. Come into my heart and be my Lord. Make me a child of God. Give me eternal life. Forgive my sins. And now, Lord Jesus, trusting you as Job did, I will follow you the rest of my life. Not to earn your favor, but because I've received it. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for saving me. For his sake, we pray. Amen.